Broadcast Network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Welcome back to the He Likes After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. Talking about Season 2, Episode 3, Scion. I am Matt Lieberman. Joining me as always are the fantastic panel, Mr. Stephen Lemieux. Hey guys, good to be here. Zach Wilson. Welcome back, sisters. Yes. Sisters. And and for those of you watching us on YouTube Live, hello. Uh, For those of you who are not, you should go to YouTube. You should subscribe to our channel, youtube.com slash TV. You can also listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter and tweet at us during the show and after the show and whenever you want uh, with the hashtag Ziz, that's Z-I-Z. <laughs> hashtag Ziz. To talk about Helix with us, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Lieberman. That's M-A-T-T-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen Lemieux, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-E-M-I-U-X, or in that Jack in the Box commercial you saw. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> that God. was I can't me. believe I'm that was me. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, you're going to do that kind of plug right now? Yeah, don't, don't promote that. And Zach, uh, you guys, guys, you guys can tweet at me at that Zach Wilson. That's Zach with a C H. Guys, yes. you better believe it. Yes. No, oh, get, brother. Mute him. Get out of here. Uh, also, uh, Liz Wishmaui once again not feeling well this week. Uh, hopefully, she will feel better and will be back with us for next week's episode. Please wish her some love at Lizzie Maui on Twitter. That's L I Z Z Y M A W Y. Get well, Liz. Get that ziz out your system. Get that ziz out your system. Uh, <laughs> it's just weird to say that when you go back to. Season one, and you think of how we came up with Ziz, (laughs) (laughs) with Zach and Liz together. Yeah, Uh, but in any case, oh, you don't want to dig into the origin story. We don't need to. Let's not. Let's not say we did. Uh, This this season continues to just get weirder, and and you know what, like. I appreciate so very much how hard this show has veered into what I deem hard sci-fi and horror. Uh, Because last season, you know, we were towing the line. There were a lot of horrific elements. It was a very science-driven show. But I feel like as the series has gone on, it's developed a confidence in, and I have to assume that sci-fi has given them the support to just go as weird as possible to really d- help define their brand. Their shows are, you know, are dark, are very hard sci-fi. We're not towing around it. It's not superheroes. It's we've not only got this disease going on, but we've also got time travel. We've got dead bodies. We've got weird kids and a seraphim's <laughs> breath. We've got a time machine. Look, I mean, I'm just really glad sci-fi <laughs> gave them the opportunity to play The Last of Us on PlayStation 4 and develop... I'm just kidding. No, I really do enjoy it. And watching this episode, there was one scene where um, Alan was... uh, Not Alan. um, When Peter walks in and and Matt's on... Or Kyle Summers on the floor. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Matt Long plays Kyle Summers. Right. And they're like... You mean Dr. Dick Texas? Dr. Dick Texas, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then what was was the name I had for Sister Anne? Sweet Anne? I don't remember. Anyway. Um, And I was just like, this is filmed... Like a sci-fi horror movie. Yeah. That scene, I was just like, 
we it's like somebody wants us off this island. That was the line. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is a sci-fi horror movie that is 13 episodes long. I like this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, they're playing... The sci-fi as a whole, has they announced they're on their new mission statement to mm-hmm. do more hard sci-fi. I think they want to get back to the days of, like... Stargate and Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily with the same space context, but like that mentality. Well, everybody's doing genre programming. It's what does the best. It's what people are passionate about. I think that genre programming and, and sci-fi in general is no longer just for a certain type of person. Everybody likes science fiction. Well, that's, that's where the, the network's starting to struggle, is that, mm-hmm. like, in a world where everyone's doing genre shows, mm-hmm. what does the show that, this, the network that is defined by the fact that it does genre shows right. supposed to do? Yeah, and, and it's... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline is to recommit to the mission statement of mm-hmm. the channel, which is, you know, if you're looking for science fiction programming, we are going to give you the boldest and most original science fiction programming that you can find. And also wrestling. And also wrestling. What I find also interesting with this story is that I'm not sure that Helix really got renewed on its season one story alone. I think it was really, they had a show mm-hmm. that had a fan base. People enjoyed it at least a little bit enough for them to be popular enough to get renewed. Sure. But I also believe that sci-fi is kind of keen to know that you can't just keep canceling shows and creating new shows. You're not going to build a fan base that way. Mm -hmm. So when you have this show that story is open enough that you can do a completely different kind of story, but still include all the characters and include the original story, you can do season to season. Like, when you say Helix in space, that makes me think of something that could actually be a really cool season, to be honest. Oh my god. And let's not rule that out. That actually, that could be a thing at some point. <laughs> Look, Steve Maeda, when he was here last year, said that the main like thesis statement behind Helix is that they can do these big storylines in very contained environments. What's more contained than a space station? It's true. It's no I'm just going to say if you haven't put too much thought to season three and four, space station. <laughs> okay. So what did you what did you guys think of this episode? What did you think of Scion? I liked it. Um, by the way, anyone who hasn't seen the episode should just stop listening now because we're going to talk about things that are at the very end of the episode. Very spoilery. We're going to do that like right off the top. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Like, I was sad because I recorded Matt Lieberman's response reaction <laughs> to the end of the episode, and he was just like, "Whoa!" Yeah, it was dull. That was cool. Yeah, and the ending like, wasn't dull. I'm watching the ending. I'm like, "What the?" F-? Like, I had expli- expletives. Yeah. yeah, I think I said the exact same three words. Yeah. <laughs> I was like one of those like dead-eyed kids with the seraphim's breath, like just blank, just like, oh yeah, dead zombie bodies. Okay. <laughs> I I literally pulled out my phone right then and tweeted at B. Miguin, like several head puns. That's hysterical. I said that Hataki's cooking really made him lose his mind. Mm. I mean, there's tons of things on that, but yeah. we'll not bring the pun. Are you this. my mummy? It's like it's like three levels because she's also a mummy. That's like punception. Yes. Uh, yeah. No. The end of this episode was just was actually I thought like really crazy because I thought okay he's got them in his head he's got it in his head that they're that. Uh, 
that Daniel and Jay are still alive. Obviously, their visions. We got that right off the top. It was great to catch up with Hitaki because I wasn't sure. Honestly, I wasn't sure how do you tie him back into this show. And then I'm like, wow, what, what a coincidence. He's on this island. Like at the same time, everyone else is. Of course, that's not the case. Of course, it is th- uh, 30 years later, um, and he must have settled there at some point. We don't. I don't think so. Really? I think they exiled him. Interesting. Explain the, the the like general like five hundred or the the think, Abbey people, Michael I, and them. I think well, obviously Ilaria knows where he is. Right. He said he there was someone that, was going to send someone at some. Yeah, point. I'm sure they'd send somebody at some point. So I think it makes sense that they would exile him to this island. I don't know why yet. And I mm-hmm. think we're going to find out because it's too convenient to just oh, Ataki decides to run away to this island, blah, blah blah. I think it's he was exiled there or he went there for a certain purpose, and he might even be behind some of these things. Unless him and Michael are old buddies. Ooh, I can't see that. I I, I honestly can't see a, a true connection yet between the events of season one and Brother Michael and his acolytes. I, I, I'm not entirely sure why they're developing this disease. I can't uh, explain why he's lying about it. There's a part of me that's uh, on this thing, and it doesn't fit perfectly yet, so okay. I'm still waiting for some pieces to fall into place. But the thought that I'm looking at this place, and and if you just, uh, like, the whole island, and comparing it to Arctic biosystems, yeah. with Michael at the head, the only real silver there potentially mm-hmm. we don't know that michael's a silver but if he is and he's sort of controlling these people and what they're doing he could it, we know that he's not working for alaria mm-hmm. based on some of the online stuff but he could theoretically be working against them as like a de, a defector or um defector defector thank you um and so he's using he's using a different mode of science to achieve maybe even similar ends. That's interesting, but I have to imagine that if he was a silver, I have to think that silvers can detect other silvers, or they've lived long enough that they can de- that they can determine that someone is immortal just by looking at them. And I know that that is me just inferring that, but I have to imagine that if he was a silver, he would be taking a far bigger interest in Doctor Sarah Jordan. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. I'm a lot of people think that. Uh, Stephen Weber, uh, brother Michael is a silver. I'm just not sold on it yet. I really, yeah. I really am not sold. And you know, what's really interesting that they talked about in this episode was the grafting. Mm-hmm. And when we first see brother Michael in the episode, he's pulling out uh, botany for dummies from his safe, from his safe, <laughs> and he's grafting a plant onto another plant. And when we look at the situation that's happening right now, you see people who have plants grafted onto them. Mm-hmm. So what? I'm still kind of speculating at this point is that they're trying to graft humans and plants together for a bigger purpose. We just don't know what that purpose is, whether it's supposed to be anti-human or whether it's supposed to be pro-human when awry. Zach? Well, one quote that I thought was very interesting is that Michael says at one point, if they reject their true path, Mm -hmm. um, then they basically get cast out into the woods. What if the rejecting their true path isn't like a thought process or anything? Like they're they're there and they're like do this and they don't want to what if it's their body rejected whatever whatever process he was trying to put them on whatever mm-hmm. like he whatever grafting he's trying to do to their human body they reject it and so like we had Isaac rejecting it because he's dying 
he re- he rejected his true path, which is to become some sort of plant human hybrid. Can I say something really quick? Because something came to my mind. Of course. So they pull the teeth out of somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And then they dump this fluid down her throat. Okay. So I know this is like all speculation. I hate that the show devolves into speculation in a lot of points, but we're only three episodes in, so that's kind of what we'll right. do. We'll get to the recap as well. Um Teeth grow from the roots. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking that. Yeah. yeah, teeth grow from the roots. So I'm wondering if they pull the teeth out, inject them with the new form of the serum, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to create immortals that you can hack off limbs and the limbs grow back and things like that. Hmm. And uh. they're they're pulling the teeth out to see if the teeth will grow back from the root. That's interesting. For me, I assumed that uh, that pulling the teeth out was to have all of those spaces all of those roots open so that whatever they're pumping into their system can be quickly absorbed, not just through the digestive system, but also into the bloodstream. It also could be ceremonial. If I had to give my guess, I like this idea of um, plant-human hybrids, or at least a fascination between the union between man and plant, uh, because if we look at the slide later in the episode, we're talking about a fungus. Yeah. This isn't a virus. This is uh, something living. This is something that grows. And we saw the spores come out of the guy's neck last episode. Exactly. Spores. It's very much about uh, trying to meld man and plant together. I don't think that Brother Michael has plans for this outside of this island. I honestly believe that. And and I I hope that I'm wrong on some level because I'm, I love to be surprised. But I really think that it's Alaria coming into this situation using Peter as their vessel to get more of this stuff or to, to get the stuff they've heard about it. Uh, and they're trying to restart their plan to wipe out the human race, and they're using him as their instrument to lift some samples and get him off the island. I just had a, I just had another idea that, I, again, speculation and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, well, going from the teeth thing, that's a throwback to Constance Sutton in season one, mm-hmm. where she was filing her teeth, which was, we never got a full explanation of. Yeah, so gray eyes, maybe your silver eyes grow their teeth. Mm-hmm. So maybe again, going back to Doctor Michael is trying to grow, is trying to create silvers, mm-hmm. which he's testing it with the teeth to see whether it worked or not. And if the teeth grow back, it means he's one step towards. And then you weren't on the after show last week, so I had I had a prediction there about um, doc, uh, Brother Michael says that there's seven capitulae of of plant life, and you branch them off into whatever they are. So my my theory was that he's using this community as his petri dish, and he's just taking select people and then purging the rest, and taking select people and then purging the rest because Anne is the daughter of her mother. Or no, what's her name? Amy is the daughter of Anne. Amy is the daughter of Anne, and Anne talks about how her mother, her grandmother, and they they were all there from the beginning, and people have been running this place since the beginning with new people every time. And all the bones on the island. So I Mm -hmm. still think there's a purge at some point where they keep, where it's survival of whoever is furthering the evolutionary chain. Right. Now, Alan could be connected through Ilaria because this research could have been the beginning of the Silvers. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, in the world today, the silvers could already be infected with this fungal thing and and be looking for a cure, and that's why we have Peter on the island. I don't think that that's true. I don't. Okay. I, I think that that happens a hell of a lot later after the outbreak is far more widespread. That's honestly one of the most 
interesting and kind of disturbing things for me as a as an avid TV watcher and as somebody who's a student of TV writing is with this 30 year gap I'm like aren't they writing themselves into a corner if if we know that this virus does survive and does break out later and, and we have these characters that are living these lives 30 years in the future we can't keep jumping further and further into the future. At some point, we have to see what they're doing now. And we've got this crisscrossing time travel narrative where we're we are watching the present and the future of someone at the same time. You know what it really dri- well, what, what it drives them into, I think, is killing off a lot of people this season hmm. and having a completely different set of characters and storylines next season. It, I guess it could be. It could be that we jump next season. Either we lose... That would, that would infer that we're either going to... Compl- we have to lose one set. We have to lose either Dr. Hitake and Julia in the future. Or we have to lose Peter, Sarah, Alan, and now uh, Dr. Dick Texas. Right. Dr. Dick Texas, who I, I, I don't want to lose yet. I like the, the fresh energy. Um, let's talk about Julia and Hitake right now off the top, just, just since everything else is so interconnected. Uh, she finds him on the island. He's got you know crazy long samurai hair. Uh, he's been there for a very long time, and uh, you know, she lies to him. She says that she's not there for her Alaria. She's just there for herself. He knows that she's lying. We have this great moment, this beat with the mugs, where he drugs his mug knowing that she'll take it because she doesn't want him to think that he, he is the world's greatest dad, which gave me a chuckle. She gets drugged, sodium pentothal. He finds out that she's dying, and uh, his crazy uh, death-addled brain, I want to say, like just so broken from the events of season one and from his exile, he's got these bodies, and he's dressed her up in a dress, and I, I can't help but wonder, like he's a brilliant scientist, but there's no way, how can he save her? He's got to be so completely far removed from his own abilities. I mean, that if he has knowledge of certain parts of human biology, specifically silver biology, mm-hmm. that other people just may not ever have known, he may just be able to, to look at it in a very simple but other but different way that allows him to completely fix the problem. Hmm. I'm just kind of interested in in what's at play here because of. The fact that Hitaki has to be so old. This can't be the first time that people close to him have died. Well, of course, but, so like, but not immortals. That uh, uh, for no re- for a less than getting. Or you're talking head about you're talking off. about Daniel and Jay. I'm talking Daniel and Jay, and I'm talking about oh, okay. how how he's. I mean, he's obviously addled by something, and what would be interesting is to find out if he's infected, and this is what's causing these hallucinations, because. He's hallucinating about Daniel and Jay and all the guilt and things like that, but I'm sure there's other times with people he's loved who've died before him because he's immortal that he probably didn't have hallucinations about. So these hallucinations are caused by something. Well, the power of his love for Jay was one of the key points of the latter half of the second season of the first season. Um, so I have to think that her death and the manner in which it occurred and the manner in which Daniel's death occurred really did shake him. Also, you have to imagine someone who's immortal and who's lived for a very long time, you've got a long time to be depressed about something, especially if you're isolated and you feel like 
like you're a failure if tons of people died because of you. Your daughter has betrayed you and is working for your enemy. We don't know what happened between them. She mentions the last time that they saw each other. I don't think it was at Arctic Biosystems. Somebody in the chat says... uh Aisha Brown says, why are the bodies so well-preserved? Because this is supposed to be 30 years later. The man's a scientist. Yeah. And he figured out how. I don't know if he has been keeping them in, like, cryotubes in the basement. I don't know if he learned embalming. They're, like, uh, covered in, in Egypt a, a because very, he's that old. They're covered in, like, a very clear, very thin layer of plastic. Yeah, they're Teflon. The interesting <laughs> the interesting thing when you're paying attention to these scenes, though, and anyone who's watching the show, I want you to pay really close attention is everything that Daniel and Jay say are the thoughts of a sane Hataki. Hmm. So, like, that's, like, when they say she doesn't belong here yet, like, you ne- you can't do this to her, like, that's, she doesn't belong to be dead yet. We're, we're dead. He knows they're dead. They know they're dead, but he won't accept it. So it's like his thoughts are his subconscious, and they are of a sane Hataki. Because when you look at him in that light, the scenes mean so much different. Hmm. Yeah, they do play very differently if you think about it that way, where it's his, it is his subconscious mind. Maybe his subconscious mind has taken over and his conscious mind is trying to give him advice through these avenues. Miguin, um, sorry, Daniel is, or Miksa, he has three names to me. Three now. names. Um, good old three names over there. Sounds like it's his guilty conscious. And then Jane sounds like his sane conscious. And then he's just his co- torn, conflicted insanity. Hmm. What do you think, Zach? I mean, that that lands for me. That's like, I mean, that's how they're definitely writing them right now. Um, because he does feel guilty about how Daniel died. And clearly there's something there about him feeling guilty that he chose Julia. Even though he didn't really, Daniel made the choice for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you could see how a, a person dealing with loss can, survivor's guilt. Absolutely. Um, and who knows what words were said between him and Julia in those 30 years. There's clearly a lot of stuff at work there. I want to ask you guys this real quick, because this is on topic while we're still here. What what was confusing to me is when he's seeing Daniel mm-hmm. and when he's seeing Jane, it's blurry. It's like seeing through the eyes of a crying man. It's blurry. And that's kind of my poetic way of putting it. But then there's that scene when he's on the porch with Julia, and then it's also blurry to make it seem like it's kind of a dream. I can't explain it, the the visual style. Um, I have to imagine that the, the choices there are just to represent his mental state. I don't know that it's necessarily that that scene is also a dream. I don't, I, I, I don't think that that tracks. I think that it's very much happening, and I'm very concerned for Julia as time goes on. The, the, the last scene, you mean, being a dream? No, 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 no the scene out on the, the porch. porch with the mugs. Uh, okay. No, I mean, that... I think, honestly... He had to drug her somewhere. Okay, I think I, I think I just realized what it is. I think it's, anytime you see the blurriness, you're seeing the scene from Hataki's point of view. Yeah. Okay. I would agree with that. Because then when it's not blurry, it's Julia talking, and it's her point. Okay. That yeah, makes yeah. a little bit of sense now. Okay. So, uh, before we move on, I need to really quickly mention iTunes. Because oh. you know, folks, the best way to support AfterBuzz TV is to go to iTunes, rate and review the shows that you listen to or that you watch on YouTube. It is quick, it is easy, and it supports our network. It is how our sponsors find us and how they know that our products are very, very 
very good and well liked by our audience. Uh, you know, we here at AfterBuzz TV we put out over a hundred hours of after-show content every single week. It is the widest array of after-show content anywhere on the web. I will stand by that fact. You can come at me with whatever words you want. It is the truth, and you know it's a big undertaking. And your support means the world. So sus- subscribing to our YouTube channel, rating and reviewing on iTunes really makes a world of difference. Uh, and we want to be able to keep giving you the best free after show content anywhere on the web and you also get a great shout out here on the show we got two reviews this week uh one five stars great podcast from eric 464 helix is another show where i'm the only one i know who watches it it is such a good show and i'm glad AfterBuzz is doing a podcast for it the hosts do an excellent job discussing the show just as they have done with the previous season i'm looking forward to the show every week and i hope there are more guests on a side note i've been a longtime fan of AfterBuzz, and i'm so impressed with how much it has grown and i hope it continues to go above and beyond Beyond, so do That's we. your second shout-out, Eric. We really liked your review. Really liked it. Uh, <laughs> an absolute joy, five stars from Hornswoggler19. Uh, finally managed to comment, I've been following the podcast since it started up in season one, and I was as excited for you guys to come back as I was for the show to return. The theories are crazy, the fans can unite in the shared confusion, and I've baffled so many people by referencing Ziz and yelling about <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got any monkeys yet. I you know. Guys. We're in the jungle and there's no monkeys, there's but no then we're in the monkeys. Arctic and we get monkeys. Uh, <laughs> all the monkeys are over on 12 monkeys. Uh, two episodes <laughs> in and it's just as wonderful as the last season. A uh, nice way to get over the PTZD while, uh, but post traumatic ziz disorder. disorder. We discussed it last week. Okay. Oh, you read this one too? No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. While waiting for the next episode, I could probably ramble for a few pages about how much I love this podcast and I love you all of you on it. But that sums it up. Thank you so much for the madness. And if Thank you guys you. want more madness, I got to give ourselves a little bit of a promo here because oh, wow. next week promotion. Next week, next week, you will recognize her from one of the episodes we did last year. Last year, Tiffany Greshler is going to be back on our show next week. As oh, that's yeah. fantastic! I love Tiffany. And that's Tiffany, exciting. as you know, was. Uh, the showrunner's assistant last season. She is now a writer for the show. Well, she was a showrunner's assistant, and then she wrote her first script last year, and now she is a staff mm-hmm. writer and this season. she is the writer of season two, episode four, so she'll be joining us for season two, episode four next week. And the week after that, mm-hmm. the week after that, are you doing, what are you we doing? We have Neil Napier, who plays Dr. Peter Farragut. Fantastic. Us in studio. And the week after that, whoa, they keep coming! I can't tell you who's coming. Oh. Uh, what? But it is a character that you will recognize. Okay, great. Uh, so, folks, if you want to send us questions for Neil cryptic and for Tiffany bastard. and for our cryptic <laughs> mystery guest, I guess you can tweet him to us. On, you can tweet him to us on Twitter at hashtag Ziz. That's Z I Z. Okay, so. Uh, let's talk about the present, shall we? Uh, Amy Landry, creepy hand jobs. Let's discuss. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, there was a good, it was a good minute into the scene where I'm just like, that's not what she's doing. I kept expecting what she's doing. Oh. What? <laughs> I really expected like her hand to pull away, and there's like yellow like fungus stuff all over. Oh. Oh. Like he was like half monster or something yeah. like that. But no, she's like cold as ice. She pulls that glove off. She ain't even gonna bare hand. And it. she throws it in his freaking face. I mean, the one thing though, 
that glove looked pretty dry when she was done. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You gotta, you gotta use something. Man, you I just mean, she clearly the place up. She clearly was using. So you could hear it. Yeah, you could hear the, <laughs> okay, the sound effects team. You guys suck. don't don't either. No, you, you guys, guys are great. great. <laughs> but like, God, that was just it was an awkward. Uh, it sounded real slippery. It was so Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. but but I love this because you know he he thinks that they're a thing. She says we are not a thing. She is using uh, his love for her and his sexual needs to keep him as a pawn. She's got a pawn here, and all it takes is a hand job every now and again to keep him in line. With a Sounds vinyl like glove on. Yes, exactly. What'd you say? Nothing. Okay. I mean, it, my only thought, and I'm not sure, I don't know that this is where they're going, but like, with the island so uh, like I'm sorry, I looked over and saw a ridiculous comment on the chat roll. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even feel the need to... The Bentley Ninja says, I've had worse hand jobs. <laughs> <laughs> oh brother! Hashtag says. Um. Anyway, oh god, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Would there is there something not just like as a sexual favor going on here? Is it somehow like because of the glove? It just made me think like, is this somehow like scientifically routine? Because of something else that's going on no, it's, here, it's or is job. it literally just like a hand job and she just doesn't want to touch? It's, it's I a, think it's that's it's really, really that. It's <laughs> really that. It's you are a pawn. I have no interest in touching you. I am performing a task so that I continue to have my loyal man slave. Because when she when he says like you know with us and she's like there is no us. How many times do I have to keep telling you that? Right. Sorry, I misspoke. Keep there, going. There's no us. Okay. There's no us. <laughs> No us, okay? Now, here's my question. Here's my question. Amy and Landry, how do they fit into Anne and Michael's plans? It seems like Amy has a separate agenda. I ship Lamidri. Stop. Uh, Lamidri? I think this is a separate what? faction. La- he's saying Amy and Landry. He ships them. That. That's a very confusing uh, uh, he, ship you, title. You're new to Sleepy Hollow. His ship titles are the worst. They're t- Frangenic Emerald. Anyway, um, I think <laughs> I like the fact that there's multiple factions involved here. Mm-hmm. That that Brother Michael is not the all-seeing eye. That he's just a man. Yeah. And that was the interesting about thing about season season one was that there was Hataki and he kept everything under control as much as he could, but he couldn't prevent Daniel from finding out about his past. And uh, and he couldn't prevent Alaria from coming, and then it turned out that they were in charge. But even then, yeah. there's politics within it. Exactly. So I really like that we get this where this is a girl who's in her rebellious stage because her mom, we already know about the legacy. Mm-hmm. And when there's a legacy, there's pressure to fulfill that legacy. So this girl girl obviously does not want to do what they're doing. She's going to have her own whatever those... Or she wants to do what they're doing and thinks that she has a better way to do it and that it's her time to take over. I think that there's a level of entitlement and a level of invincibility that you feel when you grow up and you are the son or the daughter of a leader, especially in in, in a cult situation where ultimately you are untouchable except for your parents. So as long as they don't find out, you kind of run free, and you probably have a lot of ideas about how things should be run. Um, so whatever they've got going on the side, whether I think personally they're somehow controlling or running uh, the group of infected that are outside the walls. So I want to talk about this scene real quick with the time machine where she's loading up the time Whoa. machine. Hey, guys, let's load up the time machine. Woo! 
So she explains it as this is something they used in Aztec rituals. One whiff of this, and people will cut their own throats. Okay, I had a completely different expectation for what this drug. Right, I thought it was gonna. She was killing all the kids. Yeah, I was like, let's murder children. (laughs) So, because I I took it as for revenge for Elizabeth talking to Mister Dick Texas, Doctor Dick Texas, Doctor Dick Texas, Doctor Dick Texas, DDT, Doctor Dick Texas. Give him his proper accreditation, Stephen. Dr. Dick Texas. That she was just going to kill all the children so he couldn't talk to them anymore. Exactly, that's what I thought. Because when she says, this will make, this, they practically took the knife and sliced their own throat. I thought it was like going to be like the Gimpy Gimpy plan or something where like, you... Excuse it, me? I don't know what that there's means. There's an Australian tree that if you get it in your hand, it oh. hurts so bad to the nerves that people kill themselves. Got it. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like that, where it hurts so bad that people kill themselves to get out of, to escape the pain. We did, and we did see a guy do exactly that mm-hmm. kind a couple episodes ago. Right. I mean, no, right. he was in such pain, such horrible, like, whatever was happening to him, he sliced open his own throat. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it's not. It's actually a real time machine, and Marty from Back to the Future joins... No, but... It's really creepy to see this Varus-looking dude. Yeah, also, can we talk about, if you're kids, right, and someone says you want to play a game, and it's that guy. I mean, you know him, but still. <laughs> Everyone's so, so excited. And the game is he opens a box and pulls out a silver device with a face mask on it. And then the first girl does it, and she breathes in, and all of a sudden she's acting real strange. Why would you then want to play that game does not look fun? It's because called the Cosby Show. What? Bad no, no. Bad anyway, job. moving, moving God right along, Stephen. Um, no, I mean, you're you're right. Um, I, thought I, have to think- were, I thought adults weren't left alone with the children, though. But obviously, there's eight children alone with one adult in yeah. this scene. I mean, but there's more children, so I guess they're not alone yeah. per se. It's not like there's one adult and one child. Okay. Anyway, anyway, the, this is a society where there's no television. Well, from what I can, from what you can see, there's very little books that are not science based, so they have no stories to like jade them against authority figures. And it looks like they're raised as a collective. They're not. They don't really have parents the same way, right? Brothers and sisters. So if he's the one that deals with the kids, and it seems like he does, because every like we had the kid talking to him last time, and yeah, yeah, and Soren was talking to him. He he just he knew he was the guy in charge. So I think they treat him almost like. A fun uncle. But I'm just saying it's not a game. It doesn't look like a game. It doesn't feel fun. doesn't look fun. Why would everyone I mean, wait for their turn? There are thousands of stoners who would disagree that that does not look like fun. Okay. Yeah. Well. If, if I was a 12, 13-year-old kid and somebody was like, hey, breathe into this, I probably would not do it, and I'd probably see my friends do it, and once they like sit on the floor and they're like, I'd be like, okay, let's not do this, guys. Yeah. I, again, Say that there are millions of teenagers who have done that exact same. They they have seen their friend breathe out of an apparatus, then sit with no look on their face on the floor and say, "Give me some of that." Yeah, well, all right, fine, (laughs) okay. But but, but, saying yeah. yeah. (laughs) So they lure Doctor Dick Texas out to a field and then promptly stone the crap out of him. Uh, to uh, the delightful Sunshine Day song, continuing this show's wonderful use of happy songs <laughs> in bad situations. Oh I mean, you talk about horror movies being played out. We just straight up Children of the Corn, seriously, mm-hmm. with the eyes and everything. It's so creepy. And I mean, what's he gonna do? Punch a child? I 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would. I could totally see him punch and kick a child. <laughs> I mean, at that point, though, I have. That was my only thing. Is like, like, yes, the, they're they're they could easily hurt him. They had very large rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, as as I mean, but they're not that strong, as evidenced by the amount of time it took them to knock him out. Yeah. He didn't even take one of them down. Like, <laughs> look, no, no, no. no. <laughs> No, but he's right. Like, at least a couple of them were five years old. Like, he, I know that there's, like, a, for a little, for, like, the first moment, there's this moral of, like, I'm not going to strike a, a child. But when they start hitting you with rocks, and they're clearly trying to hurt you, this is not a game anymore. Right. You, it, like, don't, sti- you don't stick around and keep beating them, but you kick them out of the way and get out of it. Yeah, he should have, like... I'm sorry, but if I walk into a field and a bunch of very silent children are walking towards me with dead eyes, I'm not going to stand still. I'm probably going to GTFO. Right. Yeah, and and if they're blocking the way, you kick them. Is that is that what you do, Jack? You kick them. Yes, you I you kick the child. Fine, fine, fine. fine. Look, we got to move. We got to move on. Uh, I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, Peter. And Sarah and their relation to Kyle before they before this even happens, Sarah and uh, Kyle are trying to figure out what's going on with this virus, and it's taking forever. And he has the bright idea: well, why don't we test uh, Soren's blood uh, against the ones from the boat? And it's like, well, why weren't we doing that from the first place? Good on you, Doctor Dick Texas. And then somehow the only important samples fell out of his bag. Now he's Doctor Double Dick Texas. Doctor Double Dick Texas. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Diphthalia Texas. And um, that the, that's a uh, means you have two. two now penises. he's now he's Doctor Butterfingers Texas. Okay, but so um, Peter and Sarah go to go to grab it from the cabin way out in the woods. Uh, Kyle wants to go, but Peter says, "No, no, no, you stay." Just because I assume he's like, "Oh, I'm going to take Sarah with me because she's immortal. They'll be way more useful than than this guy. I don't want him to know the secrets." Um, true. So they go get the stuff, and they're ambushed by uh, another infected, and Sarah has to shoot him dead. Not fun. So we learn something in this scene, which is kind of interesting, too, is when you go back to first season, we got to see what the vectors see through their eyes. Mm -hmm. And they detected them through thermal vision kind of things like that. This one says, I can smell you. So we learn that they're more smell adept, and they kind of detect people. And they also can talk. Yeah, which fresh meat. Mm-hmm. But the smell thing leans towards plants again because plants, well, they don't traditionally have a sense of smell. They can sense pheromones and sunlight through photosynthesis. They have a much different spectrum of acknowledging other things being there. Now, here's a good question: If we're talking about the union of plants and man, uh, why are they carnivorous? Okay, Venus fly- so, I mean, I would jump immediately to Venus flytrap. Like sure. plants can be whatever's giving them nutrients. All right, guys, this is this is what this is what The Last of Us was also based on, and it's what this show is kind of going from as well. There's there's a fungus called Ophiocordyceps unilateralis. Oh, is can, that the zombie spore? Basically, yeah, it's a spore that latches onto something, grows inside of them, and controls their mind. Basically, driving the ins- it is against insects, mm-hmm. but if they bond it to a human. It drives them insane and forces them to try to spread themselves. So that's kind of the basis for Last of Us. Is that a? Is, it's a real thing. Well, I know that the fungus is a real thing with insects. Is the the thing you're saying just about humans? I'm assuming that has not. No, that's not. 
I mean, I don't know if it's possible in real life if somebody like did it purposefully. Right. But I just wanted to clarify yeah. that that is not a... One more thing. It doesn't seem to be driven by wanting to spread this fungus. It seems more to be driven by hunger. He wanted to eat him. Fresh meat. I want, and I, the boy to, attacked its mother. Right. But I don't think that that was... I, I personally don't think it was motivated by spreading the fungus. I honestly think it's just... It's rage, confusion, and hunger. So, my question yep. to you guys, do you think within this season we're going to see a whole lot of children infected and we're going to actually have that slaughtering? Of episode? children. Because I feel like it al- they- Helix always manages to push the envelope later in the season. Even in so this, this is the handicap. I know, this really, feel- this really <laughs> felt like foreshadowing to lots of child death. Right. Yeah, but they're, well, they're pushing the envelope, there's, there's a handjob and then there's dead children. Like that's, I'd say that that's pushing the envelope a little more. I, I would agree. I, here, look, if you're working with any kind of network, I don't care if it's cable or what, you have to make some kinds of uh, decisions. You got to pick your battles. So I don't think I'm leaning against mass child murder um, <laughs> in favor of more gross-out moments, horror, yeah. and effed-up relationships. Um, now, we've got Alan, on the other hand, who is uh, working his brother Jerome, picking in the fields, and he sees all these wine barrels being rolled into uh, this hidden chamber, and he works very, very hard. Like he's, like, he's like an operative now. I love this liberated Alan. I remember we had so many issues with Alan as a character last year because he was so inactive. I graduated and now, spy school, Matt Lieberman. Yeah, and now he's the most active person on I've the show. I've got a very specific set of skills. You want to finish your bit? I'll, I, I will no, wait. it's basically, he's Liam Neeson. He's like CDC Neeson. Okay. CDC Neeson? <laughs> yes. Uh, CDC Neeson. Yeah. He totally, like, pours whatever that substance is all over that dude's towel. He steals his keys. He gets in there, and the barrels are all empty, but we find one of the pulled teeth. So the question is, is are those barrels rolled out of that room with the bodies in them with the bodies in them dump the bones out in the in the uh, in the wilderness or even the bo- living bodies of the people who are infected and did not reach their true path and then they bring the barrels back for more transport that's where i'm leaning right now i honestly don't know i think there's i think there's another room we haven't seen and i think the other room we haven't seen will have a huge reveal Maybe like just a complete forest of people mm-hmm. that this has turned them into plant life kind of things. Like the like his botany lab there, where he has all of his different strains and samples on the wall. There's just a room full of people. Yeah, we see we see Mister Brother Michael's Ataki office. Yeah, I'm gonna throw this out there, and this is gonna be completely wrong, but <laughs> I think that Alan didn't come here alone. I think that Alan came here with uh, with Sergio. I think that Alan came Whoa. here with Sergio, and Sergio got pulled, infected, and rolled out of there, and is now either the leader of or a member of this weird, infected, others-type situation out in the woods. I, 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 really, <laughs> I really dig that theory. That's as I said it, my chair just like went. <laughs> yeah, because you were you were really lowering the bar. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, or he was just like it. It was heavy with the, the weight yeah, of the his sheer, crazy theory. The sheer weight of my theory. <laughs> I mean, I like that idea just because we know that 
uh, Mark Ganim is in this season. Yeah. But we and, don't know when he's coming back or I mean, how he's coming back. Yeah. Or if he's just going to be a crazy pipe dream that Julia and Hitaki are having 30 years in the future. But right. thinking of that, it makes more sense that the... I'm going to just keep calling him Var- Varus. Cause he's Landry. Just, Landry. His name is Landry. Okay, Landry. Landry the handjob man. Because if Landry and Amy are being set up to look like these such bad people, but they might be allies for going against what Brother Michael's doing. It's possible. It would play towards how last season played out, because we started with Hitake as the like major big bad, and then slowly we like realized that he's not the bad guy, he's on our side. True. But then why would they be per- taking the Soren out and preventing the CDC from figuring out how to... We don't know yet, but I'm sure we'll find out. Also, Landry will forever now be referred to as Handry. Um, <laughs> and it is now time for predictions. Oh, Handry. <laughs> I always feel like predictions in this in this podcast is redundant. No, because we're talking about theories. We're not talking about predictions necessarily. Specific. Okay, fair enough. What happens next week? I ship Dr. Doubledick, Texas, and Handry. And Handry. Get out of here. <laughs> Zach, you have some logic to you. <laughs> some. some. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, next week, I, I'm thinking we're going to get more of, just the preview had a lot more of, like, the future side. Mm-hmm. I'd love to spend some more time there, especially now that we have another character that we know, and we'll have at least one other, like, actor that we know, even if he the per, the character is not there, yeah. per se. Yeah. In um, Dan, I... You know, I'm really not sure based on this episode. Like, this episode was fun. It was good. It didn't, like, other than that last moment, which is, like, a cool, interesting reveal, it didn't drive anything, like, huge leaps forward, per se. So I'm hoping that next week we'll get something that really propels us into whatever is happening here. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to more Brother Michael. I want to know more of what's going on uh, from his perspective. Let's just get... We need to find out what that resolution is of Peter knocking Alan over the head. I think we're going to find out what Peter's really doing there. Um, And I'd love to see them all interact a bit more. Alan on his own, I mean, is cool, but I want him in on the action and to share what he knows. I want to see more of his terrorist skills. Yes. I think we're going to see... Next episode is going to be the interaction between Alan and Peter. And that's going to be Alan's going to try to play off his betrayal of Peter. Hmm. I, no, yeah, well, no, who no, betrayed no, vice who versa, here? Vice versa, vice versa. I mean, Peter's going to try to play off his betrayal of Alan to Alan so that Alan won't out Peter saying that he did all these things. He's going to have an excuse. You think ex- Alan knows? I think Alan knows that uh, that Peter set him up. Okay. We didn't talk about that though. Actually, if we have another minute, we we really don't, unfortunately. Because Peter minutes. was the one. Peter struck Alan in the back of the head. Is that Peter, the defector from Alaria, who's like going after Alan, or is that Peter of Alaria, who has now tracked Alan down right. and is like serving him? I think it's the latter. And if Alan doesn't know that um, Peter was the one who set him up, as we're we're guessing at right. this point, right. um. Peter has plausible deniability that he even knew Alan was on the island, so they both could have been snooping around, and as far as Peter's concerned, to Alan, 
Alan was just another member of the cult that Peter was knocking out so he doesn't get caught. Fair, fair enough. All right, we got to wrap up here. Uh, thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Helix Podcast here on AfterBuzz TV. Continue to tweet at us with the hashtag Ziz, like on, and subscribe <laughs> to the channel. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Lieberman, M-A-T-T-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. You can find all my videos at YouTube.com slash C slash Matt Lieberman, SourceFed and SourceFed Nerd. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen Lemieux, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-E-M-I-E-U-X, as well as doing the Better Call Saul podcast here in a few weeks, as well as Sleepy Hollow tomorrow night. Yes. Hey guys, you can follow me on Twitter at ThatZachWilson, T-H-A-T-Z-A-C-H-W-I-L-S-O-N. Whole bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz. got Grim coming up here in an hour. Um, Better Call Saul with these two crazy people Woo. coming up next week. Uh, yeah, bunch more. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you all very much. See you next week. Good night. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. See you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.